Hey y'all, before we start uh, today's episode, I just want to let you know uh, a couple of things. Uh, first is that um, this episode's going to be a lot longer than our usual episode. David Lynch uh, obviously invites a lot of conversation just as, a, as a creator, but also uh, Chris and I had some interesting conversations uh so we decided to actually play it out a bit longer than usual. It's kind of a sort of season finale for a season that isn't a season. Anyway, you get the gist. Uh, the second one, however, is that during the course of this process, um, uh, the audio went a bit weird. Uh, combination of Zencaster changing some of how it works right before we started recording and also us still getting used to some of the US-UK uh, nuances of recording. Uh, so... I tried to edit out the best as I could, but there might be points where it seems like we're talking over each other a bit or we're laughing at weird moments. Uh, don't think of them as errors. Think of them as our homage to the Lynchian experience. Enjoy. We are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. I'm Chris Bivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today on Genreless, we talk about Twin Peaks The Returned and wrap up this epic adventure. So folks, it has been a, a long, long road to here, which <laughs> ends at this podcast, not the Maholan Drive, how it could have if Eddie had been more open to taking more lunch on. But in retrospect, as we record this in the wee hours of the night, uh, I am in agreement with Eddie's choice. I do want to give some context for this episode. So if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that half of us, namely me, actually like to do things like take notes and maybe do a bit of research. And half of us, namely Chris, makes fun of this. And yet, this same Chris Spivey sent me a video saying, hey, Eddie, here's some background for what we're going to watch. It's four and a half hours long. You should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. It, that, that is a, a close recap of what occurred. It was like, hey, Eddie, here's this person that explains what Twin Peaks is. If you have time, maybe give it a watch. And Eddie puts it in and goes, this is too long. But that doesn't even bring up the fact that the uh, it's Twin Perfect also has a four, four and a half hour. This explains Twin Peaks. People said I was wrong. So here's another hour, hour and a half video oh, yeah. saying that I was right. And then I think another hour video later saying, yes, I'm still right. <laughs> um, but that said... Um, I did do some research, Twin Perfect, a couple of other places. I looked into some theories because throughout both Twin Peaks and um, The Prisoner, I think we've been kind of struggling with how to define this stuff and how it connects beyond saying they're both surreal TV shows. But I think uh, Chris was more explicitly going, there's a connection here. I was kind of struggling to find it a bit more. Um, and I do think watching this season helped to cement my belief of not only Twin Peaks, but also kind of how all of this connects. So we found the genre connection, if you will, backwards, which is very appropriate for these shows, frankly. <laughs> um, but I wanted to say, say that up front because we're going to go to some pretty deep dives of esoteric art, art theory nonsense, I think, this episode. That is a very nice way to put it. Um, so it has been 25, 27 years 
since Twin Peaks was off the air. And to mm-hmm. have it come back and show up, I want to say, in the summer of 2017, for me was a, a, a joy-filled moment. And I was like giddy with excitement to have it come back. That's when I started re-listening to some old podcasts that talked about Twin Peaks. I read a couple of the books that came out. I even read, I bought and read Mark Frost's, I think it was his Secret History of Twin Peaks. No, this is the actual history of Twin Peaks, the travel guide to Twin Peaks. I had become a peaker and I was ready for it. And I was like, what is Lynch, what artistic vision of beauty is Lynch going to bring? And then he brought the return. (laughs) Which sets a tone for our discussion, apparently. Um, I so one thing that was I felt throughout all this is that and there's no episode point to, so I'm going to talk about it at the front. Uh, is uh, I've been using the word satire, and that that's not quite right. And I'll go into what that I think is later. But the point is, is that each time it's been like this is Lynch's take on soap opera. This is Lynch's take on mystery. This is Lynch's take on horror. Um, and watching this, my, my initial gut reaction was, this is Lynch's take on soulless money grab reboots. <sighs> and I don't think that's fair entirely, but certainly there is a certain lens of, yes, and by 2017, lots of properties were getting rebooted and reimagined or continued after long distances. And this was another one. So it, it, it wasn't quite... A, a dig at Showtime, but it kind of came close a couple of points. One of the things to know is that this series was originally supposed to be seven or nine episodes is what was kind of envisioned for it. Then Lynch went into the editing room for a year and came out with 18 episodes. Oh, Jesus. And you, you can... You, for me, this is the second. Well, this is the first time I've come back to this since it originally initially aired. Mm-hmm. I saw it and I was done. I was like, "Nope, that it, that is not for me." And it is not even a series. It should have been preference to be this is an eighteen-hour movie. So yes. sit back, uh, get into your hibernation tubes, much like Clark Kent traveled to Earth, where he watched nothing but educational videos the whole trip here. This is what you should have done to watch the return. And I mean, on some level, right? Like, so, so it, it's actually been funny because, like, I think we started off, but you were like, oh my God, Twin Peaks is the best. And I was like, I never really quite got into Twin Peaks. And then throughout the, this exploration, I think we've kind of met in the middle. You, you've become a little mm-hmm. more disillusioned with Twin Peaks. And I've become a little more like, oh, I kind of see what, what's happening here. But I went going in, I'm like, okay. What Lynchian nonsense am I am I going to be looking at here? And boy, howdy, I got Lynchian nonsense. Um, but I mean, I think this ties into to some degree the the, the time period, right? Like in 2017, if you're asking a, a creator, a well known creator, to come back and redo their vision, and one of the critiques he had very very vocally had with the last version was network interference i have to assume at some point in time showtime said we're not going to have we're not going to interfere with your vision which is disastrous to certain kinds of creatives to give well, that was a long I'm sorry but that was like a long not legal battle but public argument between 
Showtime and trying to get Lynch to come back. Lynch kind of refused to come back unless he got final cut of everything. Mm-hmm. And the actor said, we won't come back unless Lynch comes back. So eventually Showtime sort of acquiesced so Lynch could have his full vision. Right. Right. And I, on one level, I can certainly understand people being frust- just as frustrated by the show as they were 25 years ago when the show kind of ended the way it did. On the other hand, there's part of me going, what the hell did you think was going to happen? You know, it's like, if you really thought Lynch was going to wrap this up, why did you ask David Lynch? That's not not a thing he does. (laughs) Lynch is, in fact, the the scorpion and we are the frog. (laughs) (laughs) But but we want more Twin Peaks? Okay, you sure you want Twin Peaks? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Oh, no. Why did you leave us with another horrible cliffhanger? What did you think I was doing? That's what I'm made of. And I am going to say some very nice things about this, but I'm also going to say some critical critiques of this is that this is not Twin Peaks. It is half Twin Peaks, some of Inland Empire, some of Mulholland Drive, and several other things that Lynch wanted to do masquerading as Twin Peaks. And that's a problem that I personally have with it as a a moderate to high fan of Lynch's work and someone that loved the first couple seasons of Twin Peaks. And the disconnect is that that balance was not properly executed for me. So I have very mixed feelings on the return, but at the same time, there are some amazing tidbits sprinkled throughout, sprinkled throughout it. Much how Firewalk with me has some amazing bits in it. And the good for me does not outweigh the bad. I feel like the return was actually a satisfying conclusion for Twin Peaks for me. Uh, but A, I only watched three hours, not 18 hours of it. Uh, and even one of those hours, I was still like, what the hell am I watching? Um, but B, I had to kind of, to do that, I had to put myself into, frankly, a Lynchian mindset, which required some research of like, okay, what is his art generally trying to do? What are his kind of themes and motives? Now I'm going to watch it with those in mind and recognizing uh, uh, kind of how it is. And, and okay, so I'm, I'm going to start now with my premise and, and kind of then point out along the way some signposts to it. Um, I think what Twin Peaks ultimately is, and to a degree what The Prisoner is, what we, what we ended up watching from the beginning of The Prisoner all the way to the end of Twin Peaks is the slow evolution of artists trying to grapple with the concept of metafiction. And metafiction sounds like a super artistic term. Uh, what it basically means is fiction that is ultimately aware on some level that it is fiction and actually addresses that point. Uh, so the best pop culture analogy would be uh, um, a tw- a Deadpool often breaks the fourth wall, both in comics and movies. Uh, Bugs Bunny will often talk to camera and realize that he is in a cartoon. Um, these, these are all kind of one form of metafictional concept. Uh, and I feel like the return finally starts to, to dive into that in a very Lynchian esoteric way. Uh, but at no point in the show does anyone say this is what it is. I feel like, and amusingly, watching the return made me like the ending of The Prisoner better. 
because if you look <laughs> at the prisoner as metafiction, then number one obviously is Patrick McGowan. So of course it's it's him under the mask because Patrick McGowan is number one. And it's like, oh, that makes way more sense. And the, the rambly bits at the end are the characters escaping the show of the prisoner and going, now what do we do with our lives? Right? <laughs> um, so it's like, okay, actually really finally connected with the ending of the prisoner as a result of watching Twin Peaks. So I'm a little more up on this, but I will also say watching through this, I completely agree with you. This... We've talked before about the balance between Frost and Lynch, and I know that's a reductive standpoint. The creators have both said themselves it's a reductive standpoint, but it does feel like you need to be a little more Frost in this. And I know some people say that Frost was helped write parts of it and everything else, but we all know that Lynch is well known for taking something you write and throwing it out the door and right. coming in, and he may leave your name there, and he makes whatever David Lynch wants to make. Right. Yep. And... I, I'm glad that you have reached a point where you have enjoyed some of the Twin Peaks. Although I will say that if I chose three episodes, one of which would have included Dougie trying to figure out how to go to the bathroom for five minutes, I think your opinion of the show would probably be a little bit different. So you could watch Kyle I, McLaughlin pee himself. I completely agree that this fast wind through probably made me appreciate it more because all of the criticisms I've heard of all iterations of Twin Peaks have been some form of this needed to be 10 minutes, you know, right? Um, I'm sure there are fan edits of this stuff out there somewhere, and I might be interested in trying to dig those up. Um, but also, one thing I did find in my research is that lots of people reviled the, the Dougie subplot, which we'll go into. Um, and we did kind of miss almost all of the Dougie subplot in this watch. So, yeah, I, I recognize I'm coming at this from looking at the best hits standpoint. It's almost like that was done intentionally to save you, my friend, to, from having the, the psychological wound, the psychic scars I have. Thank you, Heavy Metal Soundtrack. Oh, Veteran of the Psychic the same Wars. way that I, I saved you from a whole lot of bad Gundam Wing. Because <laughs> Gundam Wing is great, but man, there's a whole middle chunk where it's like, uh, why? Why is this happening? Do you have any other thoughts before we, we get into the the masterful yet dreadful thing that is Twin Peaks The Return? Um, I, I do think, given that this is uh, a lot more serialized, um, you may want to give at least a really high level of what happens up before Episode 8. Uh, I, I thought that is what you'd like, so I've already prepared a little bit of something for that. Hooray! So, Look at that completely spontaneous folks. thing that was not at all rehearsed or planned. <laughs> Just for folks to know that even I, on rare occasions, will write out notes. And I wrote out some notes for Twin Peaks. And I have them. And even as we're sitting here right now, I'm thinking to myself, will I read all these notes all the way through? Or will I do what Chris is known to do? Which <laughs> means I'll potentially read the first one and then pull a lynch and throw it all out the window. <laughs> and just go with whatever feels good. Improvisational jazz, if you will. Indeed. But for the recap... I will uh, I will start and I've even I'll even tell you the title that I gave this first bit. Uh, Lynch gives us the middle finger. <laughs> At the end of the original series, Cooper is trapped in the Black Lodge, an extra dimensional place by Bob, who uses Cooper's doppelganger, aka Mr. C, for his own physical, illegal, and malicious activities across the globe. 
These include the the raping of Audrey Horn in the hospital. This includes the rape of Diane. This includes killing Major Briggs. This includes starting a criminal empire. And that is the top of a very long list of what Mr. C does for 25 odd years. Uh, Cooper is released from the lodge 25 years through a portal between worlds. During the process, he was supposed to replace his doppelganger, a.k.a. Mr. C. But Mr. C created a tulpa a fake artificial person called Dougie Jones to take his place in the lodge, allowing him to, to avoid returning. Cooper is trapped in a limbo state of being Dougie, where he slowly regains consciousness, sentience, a semblance of who Cooper is over the course of 16 episodes. You get to watch Dougie have misadventures, avoid assassins, be led by a light, from the lodge mike is constantly there trying to give him little nudges and pushes and every episode you get a glimmer of maybe cooper's in there because someone will say coffee and the cooper yeah. dougie will smile and then cooper will try to play ball with his son sunny jim or cooper will try to go to the bathroom and can't figure it out and wet himself or He'll go to the office where everyone seems to love Dougie and know who Dougie is, but Dougie doesn't seem to be able to communicate or possibly exist in a world as a person without assistance. Right. And uh, on the one hand, um, uh, this definitely reads on some level of like, you wanted Agent Cooper. Well, here he is, but that's not what you really wanted. You just wanted me to do the same thing over and over again. I'm not going to do that. So... There, there definitely is a, a bit of Lynchian kind of digging my heels in. Let me tell you why these kinds of reboot, these nostalgic reboots are bad. Uh, but again, this is, looking into this is kind of my first inkling of there's a metafictional thread here because it's the, it's not Cooper. It's this hollow shell that fandom have created of who Cooper is over the past 25 years, you know? And it's like, I, I can never give you that magic back. So I'm going to give you just a, a soulless automaton that looks and sounds like him, but is not actually him. Uh, I agree. And I would be more on board, but there's a difference in trying to highlight something and show it to people. And you do that. And perhaps that might've been, instead of having 18 episodes, we do 10 and we have an episode of like all these misadventures that are condensed. Or if you really want to string it out, you can make it into like individual segments that you drop in as things go on. And right, so but, you but, still tell that story and you bring people into you helping them understand rather than you going, here it is, motherfucker. This is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to feed it to you in a way that you cannot avoid it and not engage with it, which I support. But then I'm going to drown you in it. And then that right. goes too far. And, and and I think this is exactly the case of giving the creator too much leeway uh, because when you're making for 90s network television, on some level, uh, you have to address a lot of other pacing concerns, audience feedback, so on and so forth. While the internet gives us more instant feedback, the era of prestige television also means that there's no real limit. A show can be five episodes, 20 episodes, a million episodes. It doesn't matter, right? It's just whatever 
it makes sense. There's not, okay, we need exactly as many episodes. This thing needs to move by this amount, by this percentage, because that's, you know, this episode is going to land in December. So we have to make sure not much happens because people don't watch so much during the holidays. There's a whole lot of logistics around network television that don't exist anymore. So a lot of those constraints mean that Lynch combined with, uh, you know, someone else being an editor, you know, with another team, they can say, okay, we can make this long and awkward, but we're going to make it five more minutes long and awkward, not a whole episode long and awkward. Uh, when all of those breaks are off, then I could totally see Lynch going, I do long, uncomfortable things. That's what you're all here for. So I'm going to give you the longest, the most uncomfortable thing I can do. And it's like, there's a point where the audience goes, but we don't, we're just bored. It's not <laughs> that we don't get what you're doing. It's just, we don't care anymore. And so that balance was lost. And having said some of that at the same time, this was a, a tour de force for Kyle McLaughlin. This is a chance for him to be a slew of different characters, which we'll talk about mm -hmm. more later. But right now he's getting to portray three different characters. He's got yep. to be Cooper briefly. We get Dougie, regardless of how you feel as it, Dougie has a very distinctive personality. And then he gets to play a different version of Dougie on top of that. That's a mix of Cooper in Dougie. And then he gets to play the villain of the whole piece, Mr. C which is exceptional. You would never thought Kyle McLaughlin could have been scary or imposing, and he pulls it off. Yeah, and, and full credit, while obviously there's some some costuming and visual indicators, I also never at any point got lost to which character he was playing at any time. And that's a lot of that has to go to the actor. And, and for me, Kyle McLaughlin has always either been Coop, uh, Charlotte's husband from Sex and the City, or... The father in How I Met Your Mother, and uh, one of one of the better roles is that he got to be Mister Mayor in Portlandia. So, like those are the characters oh, I associate with Kyle McLaughlin, and getting to see him be Mister C and be a badass motherfucker that goes around killing people, just executing his plan regardless of everything, and still having it's not charm, it's not, but having a presence that sort of dis settles people before he even has to do anything physically violent. Yep. Beautifully. Uh, uh, it's, it's when people talk about charisma, that's a perfect example of it. Kyle McLaughlin has something that makes you want to watch him on the screen, regardless of what he's doing. That is the, the brief recap. There's other stuff that happens, but one of the reasons I was able to condense, you'll see from the episode synopsis compared to that so easily is that, so much happens, but none of it matters. We had some people from Twin Peaks pop up, but that was just more of a, a lure to keep you watching the show than any real purpose for them being here. I completely Can you tell again, me Dr. Amp's shovels matter? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. And, and again, it, it ties into my hypothesis that it's the Lynch is like, here's this character you recognize. Now I'm going to do 45 minutes of whatever the hell I want. Uh, is there anything else you would like to cover for that part? No, not really. I didn't watch any of this stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Uh, season three, part eight. Got a light. Mr. C, while traveling with Monroe, an FBI, an FBI informant working for him uh, undercover, who is also in league with Philip Jeffries, Shoots Mr. C 
leaving him for dead, but ghostly woodsmen appear and begin to tear Mr. C's body apart, revealing an orb that emerges from the wounds with Killer Bob grinning's face within. In the Roadhouse, which every episode pretty much ends in the Roadhouse with a new band playing, which I'll once again reinforce that Lynch, I will never want to write my life, but I would let Lynch make Lynch make the soundtrack to my life because he has great taste in music. Uh, in the Roadhouse, the Nine Inch Nails perform their song, She's Gone Away. Later, Mr. C awakens fully restored. In 1945, New Mexico, the first atomic bomb is detonated. Woodsmen gather inside a burnt out convenience store while floating in a void. Um, and, and while floating in a void, the experiment spews a stream of primordial ectoplasmic fluid containing various ova. Inside on the ova is the visage of Bob, by, still played by Frank Silva, so it's a chance to use original actors. In an imposed windowless building, the fireman watches the detonation, the convenience store, and the experiment spewing Bob. He then begins to levitate. A light, light tendrils from energy emanating from his head form a form a galaxy as stars are projected on screen. Senorita Dido enters and the fireman emits a golden crystal orb containing Laura Palmer's face. The orb floats down to her after floats down and there's this couple that they have these two young kids that are going on a, ending their date who kiss in the woods. They'll become more pertinent shortly in 1956, New Mexico, an unearthly amphibian instoid creature hatches from the egg at the bombs explosion site. And it begins to crawl through the desert. A woodsman with a cigar in his hand repeatedly asks everyone in encounters, got a light. He eventually enters a radio station. He overpowers the receptionist, the disc jockey, and then begins to broadcast the words, this is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and the dark within. During the broadcast, numerous listeners fall unconscious, including the young girl, who was on the date earlier, and the creature climbs down her throat. The woodsman kills the disc jockey with another hand, crushing his skull and leaves. As it walks into the desert, the neighing of a horse can be heard. So It's a sound effects episode. It's very important. Um, this the is the episode where it's really hard to not tip into art bullshit, right? Because it is so easy to look at this and it's like, well, uh, the the this is a symbol for for this and this is what what you know the symbol for that and because this episode is really nothing but symbols, um, and so it's really easy to kind of start to do it in this rabbit hole of this is what it actually means and blah blah blah. But if you take a step back from all of this, and again, it, it's it, there's a lot of very beautiful imagery here, um, some great CGI. Um, and a genuinely creepy short story actually happens here. Um, this episode makes the entire season worthwhile for me. Right. And this episode does actually explain a lot of what happens in Twin Peaks. Bob, it's, in 1945, atomic bombs detonated, causing a rift, whether in uh, 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 sci-fi dimensions or magical space, unclear. Um, that, that line constantly gets bounced over. Uh, but two spirits leave, or one of them is Bob, and to counteract him, they summon another spirit, which is ultimately Laura, to fight him. 
And so this is ultimately a battle of good and evil. And that's, and that's been kind of a strong premise throughout all of Twin Peaks, and it's, it's made as explicit as Lynch is able to do here. If you look past all the symbols, it's a pretty straightforward plot. Alien creatures summon a spirit to fight another spirit to try to stop them. That spirit arrives in 1956, possesses a woodsman, and starts his process. Then another spirit then possesses a woman, and we start to see this cyclical battle going on from at least 1956 through the 90s. Okay. Uh... And I will say also, the God of Light thing was actually creepy for me for a different reason because right before I watched this episode, I was reading an article about how muggers in London will actually use that as a way to get close to people to mug them. Like, hey, you got a light, come forward and then mug you. Um, so that's actually a very good tactic to get close to someone before you hurt them. So I was like, oh, okay, that's, I'm guessing it's probably accidental, but still, I was like, well, that's a really, that kind of balance of the the deeply real and the weird that we keep talking about. But I got to say, the Nine Inch Nails showing up, all damn near killed this episode for me. Because it, <laughs> it looked like such a goddamn cash-in, right? Like, I, I get that in the 90s, Nine Inch Nails would have been exactly the kind of people that would have been on Twin Peaks because they, they were just coming out. They had the right sound. They had the right aesthetic. But Nine Inch Nails is mainstream now, right? It, it's not weird indie rock. It, it, it's, 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 a, it's a mega band. And the idea of Nine Inch Nails showing up in Twin Peaks and just kind of singing to a small crowd and everyone going, oh, hey, cool, it's a cool band, really blew, really, really struck a wrong note with me. But wait, wait, I, I think that it's, it's, it's not Nine Inch Nails. I think the title is like The Nine Inch Nails, and this is Trent okay. Reznor's other band. Oh God! So it's not as well known. So, so it's it's Lynch once again playing with all those layers of doing what Lynch does. And a lot of the other bands that end the Roadhouse are, I think, well known bands. I don't remember the names right now because it is early in the morning, and I haven't, I didn't prep for that part. Sure. But they're big bands and little bands are playing all throughout. And if we go back, don't forget that. Maybe you saw one of the episodes, but oh, God, who are they called? They got the long, that ZZ Top played in the Roadhouse. Hey, do you want to know how ZZ Top played in the Roadhouse? How did ZZ Top play in the Roadhouse? They said ZZ Top were playing, and then the guy that was announcing them put on a record of ZZ Top playing in the Roadhouse. Oh, uh, okay. The Roadhouse is something that Lynch was trying to use to recenter the series because so much of it happened everywhere else. We happened in New York, South Dakota, uh, Odessa, Texas, which we'll all get to eventually. And so the Roadhouse was a way to have it be in Twin Peaks to see some Twin Peaks people sort of display music that Lynch likes. Because one of the things Lynch really does for a long time is he would have the music and he would present artists and they would go on road shows. Kind of like the other link I put in that had uh, Julie Cruz and the artistic experiment of their performance they put on. So Lynch enjoys doing that, and that's kind of what the Roadhouse was. That's fair. Um, and, and that may have been the nuance that I just I just missed. Uh, so, I mean, uh, I'm willing to concede that point. Uh, but um, aside from that, certainly the the vibe of this episode for me was like, 
again, this first one I watched. So I was like, okay, so this is the one episode that Lynch is going to get to be indulgent, not realizing, no, it's the whole show. The whole show is to do that. <laughs> but this episode in particular, it was like, let's take this really simple idea and just make it go as long as possible. Um, and again, like, uh, I, I really dug it. I, again, I actually answered a lot of questions for me. I actually felt like it was this pretty straightforward question mark. Um, and the, the last half was a genuinely cool, it would have been like very much kind of like an anthology horror story, you know? Uh, uh, so, I mean, in this case, I thought the distance and the, the length that you did it some justice. Um, and almost like if you t take out the bit at the front, it, it's almost a self-contained episode. You don't even, it's not even really connected to anything else. It's just kind of just, here's a thing. And I, in some ways, almost, I think it may have been worthwhile to maybe just trim the Mr. C.M. Monroe stuff first to kind of just be, okay, let's just make this just a self-contained episode. But I think also because this was releasing week to week, it wasn't binge streaming at the time. Um, there would have been some outcry of like, okay, but nothing progressed in the plot. So I could see why maybe why they did it that way. But this also gives you, this is the first time that Mr. C is, I use finger quotes, killed and comes back to life. So this is the first right. time you really see that occur on the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was an important bit, which then gives you a chance to link it back to the orb. And one, and I say it over originally, and there were dozens of those little ova mm -hmm. coming down. So that almost sort of enforces the idea that there are bajillions of evil spirits all throughout the globe and other places. And we, we've only been dealing with one throughout the entire mm -hmm. course of the series. Absolutely. The most horrific thing in this entire episode, though, is that creatures represent good. Frequently, good is represented as something beautiful. And, of course, it is nice to see that good represented as something just apparently ugly to go in. Right. As it crawled down, who we would have to then assume is going to eventually be Sarah Palmer's throat. Which brings up an interesting question, and I don't know if we have the time to, to dig into it entirely, but given what we saw of Firewalk With Me, why is Laura Palmer good? Because she is definitely not portrayed in any way, shape, or form as a traditionally good protagonist-type character. I almost think it's less of good conquering evil, but it goes almost more to sort of a Tolkien bent where good wins through enduring evil. Mm, okay. And Laura has to endure like all of these things. And mm -hmm. evil is mostly focused on her. Thereby protecting a, 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 a lot of other people because most of Bob's attention is focused on Laura. Right. Uh, for me, uh, to, yeah, this is playing with my, my metafiction thesis. Uh, Laura is not necessarily good. She is the reason why people start looking into evil. Uh, because if Laura did not die, there would not be a show called Twin Peaks for us to watch. Um as much as we talked about how the question of who killed Laura Palmer ultimately becomes moot and they tried to adjust that, but not successfully people tuned out. Um, it's still, it was a big hook, especially in the marketing of the time who killed Laura Palmer, who killed Laura Palmer. Uh, and so we as an audience start watching this television show about evil things 
because you want to know what happened to Laura Palmer. So Laura Palmer is the reason to get attention onto evil, and evil does not do well while under scrutiny. Uh, uh, but you're right, uh, enduring evil. Um, I mean, if you watch Firewalk with me, she does a lot of horrible things, but she certainly is trying to survive an extremely dangerous and tense environment. Uh, you know, like she tries to save her friends from falling in the same traps that she did. Uh, uh, things like that. So, I mean, like, I, 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 I agree with your point that there's also a validity of there's a good person there who's trying to overcome a lot of evil influences. And I agree with yours. I was actually going to bring that up at sort of at the end, how if Laura's not killed, how everything that we've seen up to now ceases to exist and be, mm -hmm. which goes into the entire metafictional part that you were going about and how it breaks in some sense into the cycle. But mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're not quite there yet. No, we're not quite there yet. So I, I want to play that scene now because I want to come back to it. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to discuss about episode eight, the the best part of the entire return? I'll say it right now. Gauntlet third down. Uh, no, I think I think if we don't stop now, we'll only talk about this episode. So <laughs> we better move on. Um, the one thing, I, actually, there is the one thing I will bring up though is that the fact that the woodman are dark characters and they are the epitome of evil is a very overplayed stereotype like yeah, they're they're yeah. even credited as charcoal men and so that stereotype mm. is frustrating but this is not the podcast to get into the casting of stereotype compared to like light versus dark and that's why we briefly touched on ugly is being good versus pretty being evil or good right right that's fair. larger that's discussion fair, fair. Because uh, we also recently showed Zora, my daughter, Matilda. And in Matilda, the bad people are usually fat and the good people are usually thin. Mm, Much yeah. like in the Sarah Jane adventures, which we're showing Zora. So it's a constant thing. But th I think that'll be a podcast for later that we need to do. Sure. It'll just be fun. Um, all right. That is it for episode eight. That is it for Chris's corner about stereotypes and how we should change them. We'll move on to season three, part 17. The past dictates the future. Gordon Cooper reveals to Tammy Preston, a new FBI agent and possible love interest for Gordon. And Albert, that 25 years earlier, Major Garland Briggs and Cooper and he devised a plan to stop Jow Day who, through the usage of time, is now called Judy. Agent Philip Jeffries was also aware of Judy's existence, and Cooper warned Gordon to find him in case he disappeared how everyone else has that's been investigating Judy, saying that he was trying to kill two birds with one stone. Mr. C, through various shenanigans, are transported through a portal and arrives at the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. Andy, believing Mr. C to be Cooper, introduced him to Sheriff Frank Truman, Harry's brother, as Harry has been sick and the actor just didn't want to come back. Mr. C and Truman have a tense conversation before Cooper calls, revealing Mr. C is a fake. There is a quick draw between the sheriff and Mr. C before Mr. C is shot in the back and killed by Lucy, who suddenly understands technology. <laughs> 
The room darkens as woodsmen appear once again, attempting to revive Mr. C. Cooper arrives, and Bob in orb form erupts from Mr. Mr. C's chest. Freddy, a security guard we met earlier, who's also James's friend, empowered with superhuman strength in a green Hulk glove from the store, destroys Bob. <laughs> Cooper places the owl cave ring on Mr. C's left hand finger and the corpse disappears. The mysterious woman who has been there all along, who has a weird face makeup and no eyes, uh, Nado suddenly turns into Diane, who remembers everything. Then Cooper, Diane, Gordon leave that room somehow and go through the Great Northern's furnace room, hearing a continuous hum. Cooper unlocks a door, telling Gordon and Diane, don't follow me. And he enters the room and meet, meets Mike, who recites, fire, walk with me. They are transported by the to the Dutchman and encountered Philip Jeffries in a bell-shaped steaming spouting machine. Or what looks like, I was going to get there originally, but I wanted to, <laughs> to pull it out. Pull it out. It's a fucking um, <laughs> Cooper asks Philip about the date of uh, February 23rd, 1999, and Jeffrey promises that he can get him there, but it's a slippery one. He tells him that there he will find Jiao Day, a.k.a. Judy, and warns him that someone will be there. On February 23rd, 1989, James Hurley drives Lord into the woods on his motorbike. Cooper appears and watches them from behind a tree. Uh, Laura spots something in the woods and screams, which was also from the original series, which I think is amazing, which sort of indicates Lynch kind of knew something was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And she breaks up with James. She flees from James, eventually going to meet Leo, Renette, and Jack Ke- and Jacques, but encounter Cooper before reaching them. Recognizing him from her dream, she takes his hand. Cooper leads her through the woods and tells her they're going home. On February 24th, 1989, Pete, I love Pete, uh, <laughs> decides to go fishing. And when he leaves the house, he doesn't find Laura's corpse. In the present Palmer house, Sarah Palmer wails and tries to break her daughter's portrait. While guiding Laura through the woods, Cooper suddenly hears a strange scratching noise behind him. When he turns towards the sound, Laura disappears. Confused, Cooper looks for her for the moment before her scream echoes through the woods. The scene fades to Julie Cruz singing The World Spins. Right. And this episode is where my metafiction theory in my head clicked into place. Um, first was I completely missed this in Firewalk With Me. And I don't know why I missed it then. I noticed it now. But Gordon Cole is played by David Lynch. Yeah, I like, thought oh, you knew that. That's why I didn't say anything. No, no, I completely missed that. And so I was like, oh, the director of this FBI, the director of the show. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, really? It's like wow. It's, I thought once you once you once you click into it, it's like wow. This is really obvious. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think he said like in the first recording, he, he says, uh, "I tell you how it is," and that's what because he's playing Lynch in the first season and the second I season. It's Lynch completely missed it. Completely missed it. Um, and uh, and so yeah. So now this is happening again. It's like okay, well now. Lynch is literally telling us the story, <laughs> telling us the plot now. And in retroactively, yes, had been literally telling us the plot beforehand. So I was like, oh, okay. All right. All right. Um, uh, but, but more kind of 
cogently uh, the, 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 the bit that follows um, says to me that Lynch is an amazing director. We'll take it away from him. We, we, we praised his directorial uh, style and artistry up and down. Cannot direct action to save his soul. This was, this was, there's a certain standard of action scene that we have come used to now, and this does not stack up at all. So are you saying this wasn't intentional? Are you saying, are you getting that point of reference from Maudib and the giant sandworms from Dune in Lynch directing? Well, I mean, there's some of that too. I mean, I, I did, Dune also struggled with that, but he had people to help him with that and get him over that problem. I think this is more intentional. I think this is more, you were, you were expecting a huge massive fight between Cooper and Mr. C, and I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to. I agree. I think it's fully. That's why we have someone with, with an Avengers level strength, in a in a purchase at Kmart, Hulk power glove, to punch out Bob. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's the what is the most anticlimactic way I could solve this storyline? Okay, here we go. <laughs> and we don't even get the shootout in the jail cell with uh, Chet and Andy when he has to draw at him. Once again, mm-hmm. saved by the Hulk power glove. Right. Right. Um, and then we have uh, Cooper goes on a fairly long monologue and superimposed is... Wait, wait. It kind of... No, you, not there yet. Uh, you, you're, you're giving the juice of the episode. We're not at the juice yet. We've still got, like, the orange. We got to, like, peel the orange. We got to put it on the juicer. Do we have to? I want to get to the good stuff. Yes. Space vampires. This is what we Space do. vampires. No. Before the space vampires, we had to get through the crappy parts. All Cooper. Right, we, we Did you know that, um, I forgot his name now, that the guy playing Frank was actually the original actor that Lynch wanted to be Truman in the show? Really? No, I didn't. But he couldn't get him? That's cool. So it's just interesting tidbit. But you're, you're skipping an entire plot dump that we get from Lynch. Like, this is the point where Lynch goes, I gave you my, my vision. You want a climactic ending episode i'm going to give you an episode where you can stop watching before i give you my version of an ending and it's like this is everything you need to know in case you turned off the television how i'm sure you did at episode three yeah um before you go on that's one thing you bring up a really good point is that if i did not know there was an 18th episode i would have thought oh that's the show you're right so the, the the 18th episode is really just kind of lynch's personal Fan fiction, which is weird. It's fan fiction if you wrote it, but you know what I'm saying. It's like here's my ending. Here's here's the ending that that the network wants you to have, and now I'm going to give you my ending, which is interesting. It's an interesting way of, of studying it, you know. But go ahead, finish your thought. And so we get that so somehow 25 years ago, the three of them, uh, Cooper, Gordon, and Briggs. While remember, Annie was kidnapped by a terrorist, basically, is who Wyndham Earl was. Yep. They took time to take a break to talk about Zhao Day while Annie was potentially being killed by Wyndham Earl to devise this plan, which I will also point out, has anyone mentioned poor Annie this entire 18 episodes? No, no. No. Is she okay? Is she okay, Annie? I'm not going to do it. I'm close, <laughs> but I didn't do it. 
And to just get an entire info dump of everything right here lets you know that Lynch knows that he made something that people likely would disengage with a large percentage and stop watching, but they would come back for the finale. Kind of how the original series worked. People stopped watching and they came back for the finale. Mm. And so he wanted to give you what you needed to go into that finale with, which mm -hmm. then of itself would get more views and potentially have more people talk about the show. Right. Which I love and I hate all at once by acknowledging what I did. And you know that I did it, but you're still here. So I still got you. So now let's roll on with the show. Like beautiful, masterful, and an artist. But all that said, <laughs> we, yeah. I was just going to say is like it, it, it um, uh, we talked about how this is an 18 hour movie and I think largely that's correct, but Lynch still thinks or is, they could debate either side of that, making television, right? And he knows the ebb and flow of television. And so it's like on, on one land, yes, it's frustrating because it, it's, it's a bit cynical, but also he knows how television is made. He knows the, the, how people tune in out. He knows that people numbers spike at the beginning and end of each season. So it's like, okay, I better shuffle all the stuff to that. And then you have something like episode eight in the middle, which is a very modern take on television because it's like, okay, this episode, this is the viral episode. This episode is going to go viral. And it did. It absolutely did. It's the one people talked about for weeks afterwards. Um, so, it doesn't disagree with my thesis. My, my, one of my thesis is that, that this is on some level Lynch going, this is what you want, fuckers, here you go. Um, that, that kind of slightly cynical, here's my take on these cynical reboots because this is the point where you expect things to happen and sure enough, those things happen, but they never happen in exactly the way that you want them to. Like I said, the fight is anticlimactic and then literally someone shows up and just explains the plot to the audience. And... Now, now that you've said that, though, something I was thinking before we started is that this model of what Lynch did, an equivalent 18-hour movie on television, is the method and the, uh, the model that the MCU took for their television. They're yep. basically movies split up into movie chunks on a TV series. And you can tell just from how the ebb and flows, the episodes don't work quite right. For Correct. the MCU, they don't work quite right for here because they don't end on like the cliffhanger moment that would get you to come back. They end frequently mm -hmm. a couple minutes after that. And then you're like, yeah. what? Why didn't you stop there? That would have been a good. Right. And I'm just curious if any of those people have overlapped or if they were just a bunch of fans of Twin Peaks. Something for the future. Uh, so and that's a, that's a that's a good point. Like on some level, who is the audience for the show? Right. And it's, that's an interesting question. Because this show is for Twin Peaks fans. And the fact that this show is kind of dismissive of Twin Peaks fans is in itself itself an interesting take. But but Lynch is not the first nor the last person to say, I'm dismissive of the people that made this thing popular, and so I'm going to do something that kind of spits in your face a little bit. That, that's that's not uncommon. Um but I would also argue that Twin Peaks was such a massive moment of television that Twin Peaks fans and casual audience is not that huge of a Venn diagram difference. Uh, uh, something I've argued frequently is that a lot of people in our fandom spaces look at Star Wars like any other fandom property. And it, it, we're sci-fi fans and we like Star Wars. And, and I've often argued that Star Wars and to a degree Doctor Who are not 
fandom, their, their pop culture, right? If you go to someone and say, who is the captain of Star Trek Enterprise, random person in the street, they probably won't know. But if you say, who is a Jedi, they'll still say Luke Skywalker. Star Wars is culture. Doctor Who is culture, parentheses, in the UK and Europe, and parentheses. Um, and Twin Peaks is the same way. It's not a show for soap opera fans. It's not a show for horror fans. It's a show that redefined television. So a lot of people who even – I didn't watch Twin Peaks. I still knew what Twin Peaks was, and I knew who Dale Cooper was. I knew who Laura Palmer was. Before we even did all of this, I knew a lot of those touchstones, only having watched the occasional episode in the 90s. So I was interested when I walked into this. And, and, but what happened was I was like – all the all lead up to it was, oh, yeah, I have to watch Firewalk with me. And it, it plays out the first two episodes. It's like, I don't want to do all that work just to watch this show. So I didn't. <laughs> Uh, so and I think that's that's part of the problem is that stuff like this is like we're going to tie up all of the things that that you've been wondering for 25 years. It's like I haven't been wondering for 25 years, so should I watch this show? Um, in retrospect, I probably should have. Uh, uh, I think I would have enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to um, because clearly it doesn't give a fuck about tying anything up. Uh, <laughs> but this episode is quite definitely okay. All right, you, you put up with my shit for 16 episodes. I'm going to give you most of what you want. So to some extent, you're, I, I agree because when this first aired, I was friendly with some other, other peakers who were like, who had kids. And so we would have like, there are four of us and we would talk about the last episode of Twin Peaks that aired because this primarily aired almost weekly. When it yep. first, when it first dropped, it dropped, I want to say two episodes then it dropped another two. Then it went weekly for a while. Okay. Then they had a break over a holiday weekend, so they didn't air anything. And then it went back to weekly. And then these last two episodes, I want to say, aired together. That makes sense. And we would talk about the episodes. And the more it got to be like Twin Peaks season one with a little bit of two, I enjoyed it. And the more it got into Dougie, some... Some of them enjoyed it more. So we were split directly down the middle. Like there was two of us that really liked it to be more Twin Peaks and two people that said, we don't really care so much about the Twin Peaks quirkiness. We want more of like this Dougie and the other stuff and the new stuff that Lynch is doing. And I'm curious if that is actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, more of an age difference. Because the two of us that liked the original Twin Peaks stuff were about a decade older than the two people that liked the newer stuff. So it's a very small pool to try to sample from, but it's a real life. Yeah, and um, another thing that's interesting about the return specifically is um, one of the the problems with these kind of reboots. I, I genuinely am I'm much more fond of nostalgic reboots than other people. Like, for example, I enjoy Star Trek Picard more than a lot of people, it seems, sadly. Um, but one of the things that happens when you do those is that you set up certain tropes and plot elements, whatnot for television at a certain time. And then now you're trying to remake television in a new model while not invalidating all that previous stuff. It helps that Twin Peaks started as a soap opera. And a lot of what we look at as, as um, prestige television drama are ultimately that same kind of serialized structure, right? Right. They're, they're, on, on a purely formula level, there's not a lot of difference between 20th century soap opera and 21st century prestige television, except for the seasons are shorter. That's basically it. Um, so you can look to something like uh, uh, 
you know, this or um, uh, I've now forgotten every prestige television, the Mandalorian, whatever, uh, uh, and go, okay, but that kind of really? subplot threading through. Uh, if you watch the current season of the Mandalorian, they're starting to play with Is some it? tropes in a way that are structural approach that are kind of interesting. I'm just watching, I'm catching up on Andor right now. So I've only seen uh, season uh, uh, two of The Mandalorian. Without spoilers, there's an episode of The Mandalorian where it does, isn't really about The Mandalorian at all because they're now going, we have a deep enough cast that we could do, we think we could do a, a most of an episode about that deep cast and not necessarily the titular character, which is a so, so proper move. You mean how Boba Fett wasn't about Boba Fett? That's a much more frustrating that, argument to have. That, that's our Star Wars cast, people. If you want that one, you come let us know. Right. But um, where I'm going with it is that uh, so to your earlier point, I don't think it's entirely cynical for Lynch to go. This is the tropes of television. It reads a bit cynical, partially because a lot of the show to this date has been I'm not going to give you what you want. And now I'm suddenly giving you what I want, giving you what you want. Um, But also this is kind of how soap operas ebb and flow. And we haven't really seen that structure in this style of television really before soap operas absolutely have the sudden pit plot pivot and like everything you knew was wrong or the kind of end season of like, here's all the plot lines tied up. And then we start introducing all new plot lines. Uh, but I'm going to jump to the end of the episode here briefly. My argument is there's also another thing happening here is the reason why this is wrapping up so fast is because Cooper's literally trying to take Laura Palmer out of her own show. When uh, they meet up, they, they they recap during Firewalk With Me, which I agree. When we did Firewalk With Me, I felt like there was bits missing. These are the bits that were missing. Clever. I'm on board, actually. It's like, you know what? I take it back. You probably weren't thinking as far ahead, but I suspect that there was, you were implying a white space that you then filled in 25 years later. So you know what? Good on you. You got me there, Lynch. 100%. Um, and so literally by taking the show that she was in and then trying to intercept her before she goes into the horrible events of Firewalk with me and take her out of those, I feel as a metafictional comment of saying, we're not going to take Laura Palmer out of Twin Peaks before this Twin Peaks show starts. And then we end there because in this kind of false ending, she, he succeeded. I've taken her out of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is now over. And it's like, I actually felt that was a very satisfying ending, if a bit weird. <laughs> um, I'm going to go back a little bit to say that first, I think Lynch is still bitter from how the show had to end originally. And that he is, in fact, being very cynical when he tells us this, because it is the nature in which he told us it is everything he's done up to now. And then he doesn't give you what you want he told you like i understand this is what you want i am not going to give you that i'm going to give you a mocking version of what you want to show you how stupid were you wanting this thing and that is the Mm -hmm. entire fight with bob with freddie with like the power fist that is what all of that is Mm -hmm. and even at that point he has cooper turn back to mock once again, the audience that wanted that saying, I hope to see you all again at the curtain call. We know there is no more of this. There is right. no season four of Twin Peaks. Right. This is Lynch pooping on it and saying, ha ha, I've took me 20, 27, 30 years to get here. But this is how I want my show to end. I understand what you wanted. I'm not doing that. 
And I want you to know that I know that's what you wanted. And this is what we're doing. This is how the show should have ended. I wanted the show has always been about Cooper. And we use Laura as a hook. And we use Laura again as a hook. And we even end the show with Laura as a hook by removing the hook from the original show you're going to watch, which invalidates everything you've watched up to now that you enjoyed. For me now to give you another version of that in episode 18 of Cooper's story. And it's still about Cooper. Be it Cooper, be it, as we'll find out next episode, Richard, it is that story told different ways and Lynch still being able to give all of us, as I first started the synopsis, the finger. I have a rebuttal, but it does require us to dig into episode 18. So I don't know how you want to we approach can, this. Well, how about we go ahead and we just cruise through to that one, then we can have like our full talk. That's fa- that's fair, because because I feel like these are, they're not quite, it's not quite a two-parter, but a lot of how I think about 17 does hinge on heavy sense watch 18. All right. Um, did you want to do your superimposed face bit first though? Cause you said, I thought you were going to oh, have a point. I don't know if it's uh, tangent to uh, that. Uh, the, the only point I was going to mention about that is um, uh, it, it, it's, it's Cooper doing a big monologue, but we see his face the entire time, which is to your point, I think a little bit of um, Lynch going, no, Cooper's the main character. I'm literally showing you that Cooper is the main character. You cannot stop looking at his face. Uh, but the one thing that impressed me about that, because again, it goes on way too long because Lynch. Uh, but th- there's moments where the way the background changes, you can kind of see a little bit more clearly his face. Sometimes you can't. And I realized near the end of that, that that wasn't a still image. That was Kyle McLaughlin staring at the camera for 14 fucking minutes or whatever it was without blinking. And I was just like, hold it. Cause, cause uh, his face muscle twitched slightly and it sees just a very slight movement of his head. And I'm like, no, no, that's him. That's a, that's a, that's a video image. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> but that was it. Uh, to, to to go back to your point that Cooper, somewhat to your point, and the thing I've been ranting, I guess, about is the fact that Cooper is our hero and our main character is that it's expected that there'd be a big kiss at the end. And we literally turn a character into what they're telling us is Cooper's love interest of Diane. At the moment, evil is, uh, finger quotes, defeated to have that big heroic kiss moment. And it doesn't happen. Like, yeah. And to have her then say she remembers everything, which is going to influence what we're about to talk about in a second. If she remembers right. everything that happened to her. Mm-hmm. Right. <sighs> the last synopsis I'm giving for Twin Peaks to return ever right now. So uh, I hope you all enjoy it. It'll be a little bit long. I'll, I'll read most of the notes here instead of just winging it because it looks like Eddie wants to make real solid points and just not be rambling. How I'm doing now, just vamping for time, is Eddie's like, why won't he just do it? Because this is fun for me right now. Kind of how how Lynch would go on and on for a while and not really get to the point. Maybe I'm I'm feeling my Lynch vibe right now. I've kicked back in the chair. I'm nowhere near the screen to read anything. And Eddie's smiling right now, but he has that that evil look. I love you to death, Chris. You you are a good friend of mine. I appreciate you. You, sir, are no David Lynch. One way I'm hurt by that, another way, thank you. All right. Um, <laughs> um, season three, part 18. What is your name? In the Black Lodge, Cooper's Cooper's doppelganger, a.k.a. Mr. C, burns. Mike creates a new Dougie Jones 
from bits of Cooper's hair, who 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 rejoins his wife, Janie E., and his son, Sonny Jim. Cooper leads Laura through the woods of Twin Peaks when she suddenly disappears with a scream. Cooper sits in the lodge during a sequence similar to the one shown before. Eventually, he leaves the lodge where he is greeted by Diane at Glossenberry Grove. In the morning, Cooper and Diane drive 403 miles, a number that was told to Cooper in the first episode by the giant, to the desert, to a desert location next to a power line. Diane asks Cooper whether he will still want to take on this task. Cooper warns that once they cross, everything could be different. They drive through an apparent portal, which takes them to a deserted highway at night. When they reach a motel, Cooper checks in while Diane briefly sees another version of herself. Diane and Cooper have relations in their room that night, but Diane is visibly disturbed. The morning after, Cooper awakens in a different motel room to find Diane is gone. He finds a letter signed by Linda addressing Richard, saying that she is gone and asking him not to search for her. Cooper, or as I will call him from right now, Richard, drives to Odessa, Texas. While driving, he finds a diner named Judy's. There he stops three thugs, stops three thugs harassing a waitress, Christy, who supplies Richard with the other waitress's dress. Richard drives to the home of the absent of the absent waitress, who looks desperate when she opens the door. He addresses her as Laura. She looks confused and identifies herself as Carrie Page. When Cooper insists that she is Laura and offers to take her home to Twin Peaks, Carrie, who is eager to leave Odessa, agrees. As Carrie packs her belongings, Richard takes a quick look around the residence. He sees the body of a man dead from a gunshot wound on her couch, a white figurine of a horse, and an assault rifle on the floor. As they drive through the night, Carrie begins reminiscing about her past in Odessa and how she tried to keep a clean house despite not knowing any better. When they arrive at Twin Peaks, they discover... uh, ah, When they arrive at Twin Peaks, they pass by the Double R Diner before before parking in front of the Palmer House. Carrie doesn't recognize anything. Richard knocks on the door, but a stranger answers. The woman identifies herself as Alice Tremont, and after speaking to her unseen partner, tells him that they bought the house from a Miss Chalfont and that they didn't know who the prior owner was or who Sarah Palmer is. Richard thanks her, and he and Carrie walk away perplexed. Richard hesitates and turns again toward the house. While walking mechanically, Richard asks, what year is this? Carrie turns to look at the house and hears Sarah Palmer calling out, Laura! She suddenly screams like Laura at that moment. All the lights in the house go out and everything shown on screen is plunged into darkness. In the Black Lodge, Laura whispers into Cooper's ear as the credits roll. And that pause is intentional as if you're not paying attention and you stop the episode after that ending, you're going to miss Laura whispering to Cooper because it's about right. a five second beat. So, um, before we dive into the episode proper to, to finish my point earlier, your assertion was that um, Lynch's last episode is basically, here's the stuff you want, you plebs. I'm going to give you, eat this garbage because it's, 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 it's not the real ending. This is the real ending I'm giving you. My argument is this. Um, again, taking a metaphysical stance. 
that he tried to pull Laura out of Twin Peaks as a show, as a, as a property entirely in episode 17. So he and, he and Diane drive into a completely new show, the show that David Lynch wants to make that's not Twin Peaks. And within minutes realizes this show, no one's going to watch it. Cooper has to go back to get Laura and drag her back into Twin Peaks because that is the only place where Cooper and arguably Lynch feels like anyone will pay attention to the show anymore. At the end, uh, Richard Cooper, whatever, um, realizes that he may have drawn her back into 1989 to therefore restart the, the show he tried to pull her out of originally. That, that's my assertion towards it. So I, I'm thinking that Lynch realizes if I made a show that wasn't Twin Peaks, no one would watch it. And that's what this episode is ultimately about is like, yes, I want, I want to treat you like crap, but also I realize this is what you're really here for. And this is the only thing that keeps me valid in this space. So I have to go back to it. And I, and, and which plays to the larger theme I have of the cynical nature of these reboots is that we probably are going to get some kind of Twin Peaks stuff in the future. Who knows? Because that's how these things work is whenever you get the, 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 the reboot or the new thing, they want the next new thing. And so it's Laura's going to die again for the sake of television. I would I hate to disagree with you, my friend, but I, I am in a, <clears throat> I think I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum. And it's not even that I, I hate the return. I just think the return is Lynch doing a swan song because Lynch, I don't think he's doing anything else after this. I don't Agreed. think anyone has, has called Lynch in the five years since this has dropped to say, hey, right. can we get you to come remake or redo or work on X or Y? Lynch knew this was going to be his last thing. He wanted his last thing to be what he originally envisioned, regardless sure. of how people took it, regardless of what they thought of it. And he wanted everyone to know that this is what I wanted to make. I don't need your money anymore. And I don't care. And I don't care that you've supported me or you may have liked the work that I've done. This is a story I wanted to tell. You can go fuck yourself. And I've done all my obligations and walked away. I don't think these are incompatible viewpoints um, uh, because my argument that Lynch recognizes that he can't really make the stuff he wants or maybe retroactively could not make the stuff he wanted to make. Maybe he's probably phrasing it. Um, and him recognizing and going, okay, I'm always going to be tied to Twin Peaks. Uh, there can be a lot of bitterness around that. You know, it's like, okay, I got to make the thing I wanted to, but at the end of the day, what does it really mean? You know, there can be a cynical take to it. And, and um, I do agree that there is a, a lot of, Lynch is not a director I associate with being sloppy in any sort of imagination, so I'm not going to no. say that. Um, but there's a, a lack of heart in this episode, I feel. Uh, it, it, it feels like it's already, even though we're one episode past the, the ostensible ending of the show, about halfway through it, it feels like it's spinning its wheels. And I think that's something that's intentional. I, th I think some of it's the, maybe if I did the thing I wanted that wasn't Twin Peaks... It wouldn't go anywhere. You know, I don't know how much that's intentional or not. Um, Did you ever see Lost Highway? No, I haven't. 
the the car scene with um, Richard and Carrie is almost feels like it's from Lost Highway. Where it's it's overly long, it's drawn out. Okay. They're just driving endlessly. So a lot of this are is retreads that Lynch has done in other things. All put here. Mm, okay. Then then maybe that's part of what's happening here is him kind of doing his own kind of best hits. He's homaging yeah. himself. Right. Right. Um, which again, flagellation can be bittersweet, can be poignant, can be bitter, just straight bitter, no sweet. Um, there's different takes to it. Um, I do want to, to, to randomly zoom in on detail here. One thing that I thought was really interesting about this episode is the sex scene, uh, because it is not often in popular media where older couples are seen having a sex life. And especially older women as, as positioned explicitly as attractive and having a sex life. Uh, and so like that, I actually thought was really cool is like, you know, that this is the relationship they have in there. And, and we're going to show you that again, very Lynch is like, we're not shying away from this. Um, it was interesting to me that while they were having sex, because uh, sex scenes are something that I don't, uh, how do I phrase it? Okay. Um, so I'm going to, talk about myself for a second here um i don't talk about as much but i am i consider myself asexual i don't really find watching sex to be all that engaging so usually when sex scene comes on it's like oh great i have to get through this now um but uh, as a writer i look at them it's like sometimes sex scenes are plot relevant and sometimes they're not uh and so sometimes you have stuff like this where it's like you're actually learning a lot about what's going on with Diane because she's as she's she's looking away from Cooper and she's also putting her hands on his face. Uh, and so there's lots of body language showing that she's regretting or distancing herself from Cooper even during the act of the thing that they both ostensibly want. Which then the the follow-up, wow, weird, is not surprising that she would leave a letter because I was already kind of seeing that happening. She's like, oh, this is actually a plot-bearing scene. Good on you. And of course, David Lynch. Other sex scenes are, I don't know, most of Game of Thrones, where it's like you could cut that stuff out and lose zero of, of, of any relevant plot. Uh, so it was interesting to see a sex scene that actually was, was plot relevant to the story, even though the plot is absolutely long and meandering. Um, and also, Dude, it's like, it, it, I was going to say, it's also the kind of thing, uh, uh, the other point was that he could not have done in 1992. Uh, so I think it's another good point towards your argument of him kind of doing a recap of things because this is more of his movie, if you will, flavor. This is not this is not Lynch's television. This is Lynch's movie. To uh, to touch on that aspect of it, though, what you also didn't see by missing some of the the Dougie Jones stuff is that there is another sex scene with uh, Janie E and Dougie Jones, mm-hmm. where Dougie kind of lays there. Wait, flailing his arms around in enjoyment while Janie E is doing a lot of the work, mm-hmm. which sort of then goes back to parallel for even here. You have Cooper sitting there stone faced while mm-hmm. this is occurring and someone else is still doing all the work. Yeah, that's a good point. And this that. touches back to the point that Diane, and I, I specifically brought up before we switched to this episode, remembers everything that happened to her. Mm-hmm. And that would include Mr. C 
violating her against her wishes. So while Cooper is not Mr. C, technically, technically, they are still the same person. So she's having to grapple with all those emotions and the back love story that never existed in Twin Peaks before that they added on here. Uh, Yeah. To express how she feels, having not seen this person that she's really loved in 25 years. So there's uh, so many layers of complexity. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point because I didn't know that part. But then even more that reinforces why that's a good scene because it's like, I want to be with you, but also I cannot look at you because you remind me of this horrible experience I had. Um, so that's, again, some really interesting body language. Um, and uh, mostly I just want to call out, it's a scene that is atypical in television because A, it features uh, older characters again particularly an older woman in a sexual situation which is just not common and b the fact that it is what i like to call a load-bearing scene it's that scene you can excise out you would have to lose something if you pulled it out and that is rare of sex scenes particularly in modern day television which would also still go back in parallel even with the prisoner who one of the best sexiest scenes in the prisoner was at the end of that season one episode where there was the older woman that lived in his home and mm-hmm. there was like sparks which if oh, yeah. you know that was made today they would have been doing it Absolutely. like right again, there. Right. Much like the, this. There was sexual tension there in a way that his, with his younger colleagues, he just did not have. So like another just great parallel between those two and Laura Dern did incredible work for the entire series. Like I've complimented Kyle McLaughlin, but also Laura Dern coming in to be Diane. She had to play the Tulpa of Diane to like the evil version of Diane that we meet first mm-hmm. who's killed to then become the real Diane question mark uh then becomes linda (laughs) so like coming into a fully established show to be a character that everyone has heard of and having to live that journey without really having the same backstory that everyone else has and she pulled it off right um another point it didn't really come up in this episode but since we're i'm still kind of banging my drum about the the um uh, uh metafiction thing uh, is that I've seen some theories that tie absolutely everything together, and a lot of them I think are bunk. Uh, but the repeated elements of electricity, I think, is interesting. I, I think it ties into the idea that on some level, some of the characters in the show at least are aware that they're in a television show. Uh, and particularly the spirits who are saying things like, you know, we come by electricity or, uh, um, you know, electricity guides us. Um, and it's like, that's true. Electricity does guide us. That's how we watch television. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that the, like some of the Lodge stuff uh, uh, that, that's happening here. Surprisingly, I expected more Black Lodge stuff in this last episode because there was so much of it in uh, the original Twin Peaks. Uh, so I was surprised how little there was probably because there's a bunch of episodes I didn't watch, I'm guessing. It's um, front loaded. Uh, but uh, still, it, it's like um, there's there's interesting closure here, even though the actual literal end of the episode does not imply it. You know, like the fact that you know we 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 make it very clear his doppelganger's done. You know, Mister C is is over. Uh, that's like that's made very clear. Mike is very clearly the 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 positive good force in this conflict and he has succeeded where he's been trying to succeed for 25 years um the the spiritual weird uh surreal subplot 
actually gets the most concrete ending, which I find fascinating because I think it also shows that's where Lynch's attention really was. And Janie and these characters get a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. I don't really care about Laura Palmer and Cooper anymore. I care about these characters now. To to your point to electricity, though, one of the things that you did miss is that when Cooper came back to the physical world, he did it through a light socket. Mm-hmm. So okay. there's a constant reoccurring electricity and sound is always part of it. And so that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I wanted to show you that Twin Perfect video is while I may not completely agree with everything they were saying, no. they make some cogent points because a lot of it's pulled from lots of different places to formulate their idea. But right. the root of some of the stuff they're saying is spot on. Yeah. And um, the fact that Laura whispering in Cooper's ear as the credits roll, that's weirdly cool to me because it, it's two things simultaneously. On the one hand, there is a trope in television that the last episode of a series, something different happens with the credits, right? To kind of celebrate or downplay or mourn or whatever this, this is a special episode. And so we do think differently. You know, there, there's no music under the episode. Under the credits is the usual thing. But sometimes it's things like this where there's actually something happening under the credits. But also the fact that the story refuses to end when the form dictates the story ends. The story is continuing to go on even though the credits are rolling. It's not much. But what Lynch is saying is that Twin Peaks goes on after the show. And in that respect, regardless of how cynical you want Lynch to be in this argument, and we've both argued various percentages of cynical. There's not 0%, right? There, there's some percentage of cynical happening here. He's also kind of saying, you, the viewers, now continue the story of Twin Peaks. I am done, but the story goes on even beyond the credits. And that's a cool moment, I thought. Much like how The Prisoner ends with the same sort of way because the prisoner is an end. It keeps going on. And it, and, and the prisoner's not ended since 1960, whatever for, um, people, people have gone still questioning it. I think people will still do that with Twin Peaks because I do agree with Frost and Lynch on the point that to definitively have answered the mystery would have murdered Twin Peaks. I think that that would have absolutely happened if that had occurred here. We did closure. We do not get resolution. I think that's an important distinction. I'm glad that they chose that route. The percentages and the, the methods and how they did it, yeah, could have been better or maybe could have been less fuck the fans. Um, but it was ultimately a good call, and I'm glad that they left it in a way that there's still lots more. The fact that we can do podcasts like this and still talk about it five years later. The fact that there's enough here that we can do a five-part series on this show, even after it has allegedly been re- resolved, is is, I think good and i think that good on them for doing that uh probably didn't need 18 episodes to get there (laughs) so i guess before we get into that though do you want to any more comments about the parallel between the prisoner and twin peaks um i I think i've kind of hit the main things but um i'm glad you brought up the the couple points because again it's it was nice to hear from you because I thought maybe it was just me that I actually ended up appreciating The Prisoner better through rewatching Twin Peaks because I, I was definitely seeing a lot more of the connections there. And it's something that 
you articulated, but I kind of was mostly just subconsciously going, I guess that sounds right. It feels right, but I don't know why. And being able to not go, okay, now I'm connecting. It is one of the few times where we've watched a show and explicitly said, okay, I've got a better appreciation of this previous show I watched because of this. The only thing that kind of comes close is when we covered the uh, Robotech stuff. Um, but even then, that was still packaged as one show, even though we knew it was three and we addressed it as three. Um, this is one where like, I got a better appreciation of the prisoner from watching Twin Peaks, which I think is ultimately to his benefit. The other thing that I think is interesting is that this also on some level is an interesting, very fast view through television as an art form because twi- the, the prison was the early 60s and then we jump 25, 30 years to the 90s to do the original Twin Peaks and then we jump yeah. 25 years to the return and television's very different in each of those moments. And it was so, nice to be able so to this see is, these are shows them. about television, being able to use this as a lens to talk about how television has changed over 50 plus years is interesting. And at the same time, how some things haven't changed and the pushback that it gets remains the same when you're trying to do something Then some levels it is visionary yes. and how it is received and how long it takes to appreciate the thing that you've done. For instance, maybe in another 20 years, I may go back and say, you know what? I like the return. Maybe. Well, 20 years you went back and firewalk with me and didn't like it that much better. So I'm not sure how much hope I'll hold out for that, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you're right. Like on some level, we talk about this is a golden age of television. Television has been so radically different, but on some level, this is still a show that had network interference. This is still a show that had to address uh, logistics and fan concerns. This is a show that still had to deal with, um, a network and creators getting concerned about how the fans were reacting to their product as it was going on the air. That doesn't change from the nineties and it didn't change when Patrick, you would deal with it in the sixties. So you're right. It's there's definitely a bit of the more things change, the more they stay the same as we go through this. Um, but I would also be fascinated to see if Patrick McGowan were alive today, what he would do with the 2023 television budget with the prisoner. Because this is almost kind of a glimpse into how that might have possibly worked. I will tell you one thing he would do. He would leave Twitter after the first episode dropped. Oh, absolutely. 1,000%. Because even when this aired in 2017, it, the social media was still high, but it, didn't, it hadn't hit that pinnacle that it hit, I want to say, about four three four years ago where mm-hmm. it became like instantaneous feedback on every single show that would drop and mm-hmm. it would be like an influx of everyone it was there but it wasn't to the same level and i would love to have seen patrick mcgewin try to release a prisoner and now in how that would have happened after the first or second episode yeah yeah and how that would have shaped it because uh, as much as we're giving Lynch some stick here for the return, Lynch is also the kind of creator that does not care what your opinions are. And in this case, I think it's to his benefit because yeah. even like, I don't really care what Twitter says. I'm going to keep doing the thing I'm making. Whereas lots of creatives have absolutely had their product shaped during the production because of that kind of feedback. And frequently, I will say, or at least a lot of the time to the detriment of whatever the product is. Because if you have a vision for something, good or bad you should stick to that vision to put it out so then people can fully embrace what the thing was you wanted to make not the frankensteinian version of it that you're forced to after hearing negative feedback partial the way through it yep agreed 
Do you have any closing thoughts on Twin Peaks? Well, this is this episode's going a bit long, um, but I think that was probably inevitable given the topic here because this is also kind of a weird random season jammed in between seasons, uh, which I'll talk about in a second. But just like um, Twin Peaks was, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, I will say I'm glad I did this. Honestly, uh, we started this with the idea of this would be an, a fun warm up as I get used to uh, living in the UK and figuring out our new structure and all of that. And in a lot of ways, it has actually done that. Uh, but also, I have gained a deeper appreciation of a show I loved and a show I didn't know much about in the course of this, which is always, I think, when we're doing this show right, when we're doing genreless right, is when I can walk away and go, hey, the show I love, I love even more, and the show I didn't know, I've, I've gained a new show that I'm excited to know more about. Um, I recognize that both of these shows have a lot of flaws. Um, none of the shows we watch are without flaws. Uh, maybe Deep Space Nine. I don't know. Uh, Deep Space Nine is that first season. <laughs> that first season. We don't, we, we don't talk about the first season. We Deep Space Nine starts season three and moves on from there. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, yeah, you know, uh, we're, we're, I mean, as part of the, the format of this, we're naturally going to applaud the criticisms. But um, uh, honestly, I'm glad I did this. I, I'm actually more curious to go back and watch some of David Lynch's other work that I never really watched before, although I will have to do it in moderation because this was a lot of Lynch all at once. Yeah. And I think it's pretty obvious that out of the, the two of us, I was definitely the, the peaker, as I think yes. they're called. And having had a chance to go back, because I haven't watched it in a while, like after the return dropped, I pretty much put away all my Twin Peaks stuff. I was like, you know what? I need to... <laughs> take a long break and part part of this has been fun to go back and rewatch some i watched really all the first season again when we did it because mm-hmm. i didn't have time but i found time to rewatch all the first season <laughs> i didn't do that for second season because i didn't have the available time but i'd watch an extra episode or two and even for the returned i went ahead and i watched the first two episodes just to be able to provide a synopsis from what i remembered and then mm-hmm. i watched the episodes that we had to and it is given me a respect if not a like for the return mm-hmm. i'm still disappointed with what lynch chose to do when twin peaks comes back because regardless of whatever happens david lynch will always be known for twin peaks yep blue velvet is a, a great movie in of itself that you have to be in the right mindset to see his dune was a a masterful mess that i love but yes. when you say david lynch people go twin peaks it's yep. this happens and to have ended that legacy with this, in my opinion, is for me disappointing. And my opinion, though, doesn't matter to Lynch because it is his thing and he did it and he got paid for it and he got praise, he got criticism, but he's an artist that made a thing. And that is so amazing, regardless of how famous you are, how much money you have, to be able to create the thing that you wanted to create should always always be commended and i think this is one of the cases where you and i come with this from a different perspective than say other critical podcasts or whatnot because we're both artists and um i'm like you there are, are kickstarters i back or products i buy that i'll probably never in a million years actually use but i want it to mm-hmm. exist and i want to reward it for existing by purchasing it or in this case viewing it um 
And so whether this is for you or not, and I would definitely argue that Twin Peaks is, is an acquired taste. I think it's the best way to put it. Um, but you cannot, in good conscience, look at this and go, this doesn't deserve to exist because this is 100% a, a singular creative vision. It has prompted so much discussion and debate. It has encouraged people to make new kinds of television, both from the original series and this new series, uh, because, I mean, there are things that happen in the return that people have been inspired by to make television after that. So the fact that Lynch can inspire other artists to do better and to push further and to improve their craft, that alone, this absolutely deserves to exist and to be appreciated. 100%. It's, for instance, like when the first one peaks aired, television might have been functioning at a two. Lynch came in and at a four. And then TV mm-hmm. went up to a six after seeing Lynch's work. Lynch then came in with the return at an eight. So yep. always like cranking the dial just a little bit more. And I look forward to when that dial hits 11. Spinal yeah. tap joke. Da, I see what you did there. If you don't have anything else about Twin Peaks, I guess we can wrap what will potentially be a, a long episode. Yes. Actually. And, oh, go ahead. Is there a game coming? There's got to be a Twin Peaks game. So as I'm, it's still early for me because we recorded, I want to say like four or five hours earlier than normal because of my work schedule today. Um, It'll be a little bit of an easier game. If this is going to be two parter, if you had to rank all of Twin Peaks, how would you rank it? And then the subset of that game slash question is how would you, no, we sort fix. How would you tweak the return to make it more engaging for a larger audience? Um, well, I can answer a second question first. Editing. <laughs> I mean, but it had uh, a, a year this, of editing with Lynch. Uh, question mark. Citation needed. Um, <laughs> uh, this goes back to I have the same argument with like say J.R.R. Martin, right? Uh, um. There's a certain point where creatives become so renowned that people are scared to edit them or they're given the keys to their own editing. And in my opinion, that generally results in worse art because I have always been a much bigger fan of collaboration rather than singular vision. That's just my personal aesthetic, right? I, I, wouldn't, I have done stuff that are, are just me on the page, but most everything I'm proud of, at, at some level, somebody else has come along and, and contributed to it. And I, I feel like that's a better way to make art. Uh, so if it were me, I would definitely, I honestly think the 17th episode is more or less a good ending. I mean, I, I get what the 18th episode and do. We, I've certainly respected it. We talked a lot about it, but I do feel like the 17th episode is a, is a pretty good ending just to kind of leave it there. Um, and then cut down the rest of the material to make a nice tight eight to 10 episode series, I think would be great. Uh, as far as ranking it, um, season one, obviously at the top, I mean, there's no debate in any way, shape, or form about what that is. Uh, season one is just groundbreaking television and it's good, solid television. Uh, it is uh, Lynch and Frost in what probably is their most equal relationship, and I think it shows. Um, then it's probably The Return. Maybe season... And then it's... It, I'm, I'm debating whether I put Firewalk With Me or the second season at, at the bottom. Uh, 
I feel like second season, what you've told me about the stuff missed second season, um, probably means that objectively it's just at the bottom because it's got more minutes of bad television than, than Firewalk <laughs> with Me. Um, and Firewalk with Me is raised slightly because, as Lynch said, you have to watch that movie to understand the return. So, in terms of how the return builds on it, I think it's important. But I will, of all of this stuff, the thing I will probably least likely to watch again would be Firewalk With Me for, for two reasons. One, it's extremely uncomfortable. And two, it's just not fun to watch. Yeah, How about you? I can see that. I would probably, to fix the show, since we switch orders a little bit, I would just have Frost and Lynch be equal partners. Mm-hmm. Because the length of the show wouldn't matter as much if they were both equal because frost would have then brought a more cohesive line throughout lynch's story and lynch would have elevated frost's cohesive line to be more surreal and engaging it's Mm -hmm. that lack of partnership that really hurts the return i believe i agree for the order uh hands down first season yeah. Um, then for me, actually, second season because that cliffhanger ending of second season is ha- has potential, and yeah, it's like right. one That's of the right. reasons that I love character creation of system when we're role playing so much is that character creation is the ultimate amount of potential that you have for that game ever. Like the more stuff that you write down, the more defined it becomes. But right before that moment, it's endless possibility. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And as much as it has a lot of bloat to it, then the return. Because there are some, some of the best moments of Lynch's work in the return. There's a lot mm-hmm. of bloat, but you find them there. And Firewalk With Me is last because, much like you, it is uncomfortable. It is so many things, and that is the pinnacle of Lynch being aggravated at the situation that he was in based on everything that happened. And it yeah. is... Sh- shown throughout that entire every minute of that movie i can feel it I, and it's because maybe if, i know the backstory maybe it's just because it's on the screen but well and, and i mean if i had to pick one word to describe if i walk with me the word edgy comes to mind that's not a good thing <laughs> so uh what can people expect from us for our next episode assuming um, the winds of fate don't change it the winds of fate will not change it because finally Finally, after three months of episodes, we are going to do Arrow. God damn it. Um, uh, we're going to talk about Arrow, which is their introduction into the Arrowverse, uh, which I- I'm-, I'm being a little facetious here, but uh, the Arrowverse is, if I'm correct, the longest running live action superhero continuity to ever exist. It's a lot. So it makes sense that if we were going to make a break right before Arrow would have been the best way to do it. So we have a bit of a haul ahead of us, um, but we're going to start at the beginning with Arrow. So keeping with our uh, previously established theme that we're going to do just the first seasons of these superhero shows, uh, we're going to watch episode one, The Pilot. We're going to watch episode eight, Vendetta, and episode 23, Sacrifice. Uh, great. If any, if they're like, folks are looking for you online, where can they find you? Find my website at pugsteady.com. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pugsteady, or you can find me on the Darker Hue Discord. If you're looking for me, you can find me in the Darker Hue Discord. You can find me on Twitter at Darker underscore Hue. And if you're looking for my work, you can find it at the Darker Hue website. 
All right. So I guess that's week, it, folks. Talk to you later. <laughs>